Hi, this is Melissa with Mix in Some Magic. Welcome to my podcast. Welcome back. I'm so happy to have you here. I love Disney, but I especially love Disneyland. I think all of you know that. I'm a little bit obsessed, but I also love history. So combining the two is just so fun for me. I love learning about the history of the Disney parks, but specifically the history of Disneyland. Um, today we are going to be talking about the history of Fantasyland. It has gone through so many changes over the years, and I'm excited to talk to you about all of them. I have this secret hope that someday I can be a Disneyland history tour guide. I don't even think they have a tour like that, but I think it would be so fun. I mean, they have the walk in waltz footsteps, which is awesome, but I want a tour that walks you around Disneyland and talks about the history of the rides and the history of the different lands and all kinds of things like that. It would probably take an entire day, but I think it would be so amazing. So someday... They're going to have that tour, and I'm going to be the tour guide, and I'm going to walk around and tell people all kinds of things about Disneyland, and it's going to be amazing. That's my dream. That's on my bucket list. (laughs) All right, Fantasyland opened on July 17th, 1955, with the grand opening of Disneyland, but it did have its own little Fantasyland dedication, and I want to read you part of that. It says, here is a land of imagination, hopes, and dreams. In this timeless land of enchantment, the age of chivalry, magic, and make-believe are reborn, and fairy tales come true. Fantasyland is dedicated to the young and the young at heart, to those who believe that when you wish upon a star, your dreams do come true. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star as dreamers do, Walt talked about what inspired the land. He said, When we were planning Fantasyland, we recalled the lyrics of the song, When You Wish Upon a Star. The words of the melody from our picture, Pinocchio, inspired us to create a land where dreams come true. What youngster listening to parents or grandparents read aloud does not dream of flying with Peter Pan over moonlit London or tumbling into Alice's nonsensical wonderland? In Fantasyland, these classic stories of everyone's youth have become realities for youngsters of all ages to participate in. If that doesn't get you in the mood to talk about Fantasyland, nothing will. So Fantasyland, like I said, is original to Disneyland. Its iconic Sleeping Beauty Castle is what comes to mind for many people when they think about Disneyland. The castle is only 77 feet tall, but it looks much taller. It was built using a technique called forced perspective. So forced perspective tricks your eye into believing that something is a different size than it really is. Many concepts were tried out before the castle that we all know and love was settled on. 
Uh, they thought about doing a Robin Hood style castle or a Cinderella palace or even no castle at all. But eventually they settled on the castle that we know today. It's built to resemble King Ludwig's castle in Germany. Neuenschwanstein Castle. Is that how you say it? That's how I'm saying it, was built by King Ludwig in 1869 to 1886. On July 17, 1955, thousands of people gathered around the castle. A knight on horseback announced, Open the Fantasyland Castle in the name of the king. They lowered the drawbridge, which has only happened two times in the history of Disneyland, and all of these kids, joined by Mickey Mouse and some of his friends, go running into Fantasyland. Now, if you've never seen this video, it's pretty awesome. So Google the dedication of Fantasyland 1955 or something like that and watch this video. It's pretty great. I think you're going to love it. So like I said before, the drawbridge works and it has only been used two times. Once on opening day in 1955 and again after a major remodel of Fantasyland that took place in 1983. Now, some have speculated, and I have high hopes, that when Disneyland reopens someday, hopefully 2021, when the pandemic's a little more under control, that they will lower the drawbridge again for Fantasyland. I don't know if it will happen, but it's one of my dreams. So keep your fingers crossed for that, because I think it's a real possibility. When you enter Fantasyland, you're immediately transported into a land of magic and fairy tales. Now, Fantasyland looked different on opening day than it does now. On opening day in 1955, until it was refurbished in 1983, it was more of a medieval type setting. There was lots of tournament tents and knights and things like that. Not so much the European storybook fantasy that we find today. With the exception of the carousel, all the rides were custom-built. They were designed by WED Enterprises and engineered by Aero Development. So I want to start off talking about the attractions that were up and running when the park opened in 1955. We're going to start with the Canal Boats of the World. If that doesn't sound familiar, that's because they closed within two months of opening day and they reopened as the storybook canal boats, which I'm sure you know and love. So Walt wanted a miniature city or cities that the boats would travel around through these canals. And he wanted there to be little tiny animatronic residents of the cities and people could float by and see the cities of the world with animatronics along with them. Um, but technology limitations wouldn't allow for his vision to become a reality. So he decided to have the boats travel the world and visit famous landscapes and landmarks and iconic buildings instead. Um, unfortunately, the attraction wasn't ready on opening day, but they decided to open it anyway. So the landscaping was basically non-existent. There were no trees. It was just basically dirt piled up on the sides of these canals. There were also no miniatures. There were no little iconic buildings or things that were originally planned. So guests basically floated around mounds of dirt. <laughs> Google the pictures of this because it's funny to see. It doesn't look anything like Disneyland. If you didn't know it was at Disneyland, you wouldn't think it was there. So they're just floating in these boats through piles of dirt. 
And this was a problem for lots of reasons, but especially because due to the lack of landscaping, any moisture turned the dirt mounds into mud banks that would then slide into the water. And the motors on the boats had trouble too. They would often overheat, which meant that the boats had to be pulled through the attraction by cast members. I would love to see a video of this, of a poor cast member towing a boat through these canals and mud banks and the cast members climbing over dirt mounds. And obviously it just didn't work. So the cast members were frustrated and it was disappointing for guests, obviously. Um, So it's not surprising that the attraction was closed down two months after it opened. It underwent extensive refurbishments and then reopened in June of 1956 as the Storybook Land Canal Boats that we know and love today. King Arthur's Carousel is such an important part of Fantasyland. Walt wanted people to be able to look through the castle and see the carousel running and it would kind of draw them into Fantasyland. So the carousel was built in 1922 and operated at Sunnyside Beach Park in Ontario, Canada. It was relocated to Disneyland, refurbished, and ready to go on opening day. A fourth row of horses was added from various carousels around North America. Because of the popularity of the one white horse, when the park opened there was just one white horse, and it was extremely popular, so all the horses were painted white in 1975. There was a theater in Fantasyland on opening day called Mickey Mouse Clubhouse Theater. It showed Disney cartoons, little classic cartoons. Um, Some of them were in 3D later on. This was where Pinocchio's Daring Adventure is right now. So back in that area was the Mickey Mouse Club Theater. Um, It was renamed the Fantasyland Theater in 1964 and remained the Fantasyland Theater until 1981. And that's when it closed and they did the refurbishment in 1983. And when it reopened, that space was Pinocchio's Daring Journey. Mr. Toad's wild ride on opening day was so different than it is today. Um, So the most notable difference was it was really short, only 98 seconds long, which I don't don't know how long it is now, but I'm pretty sure it's longer than 98 seconds. Um, Most of the interior sets were flat backdrops, not three-dimensional with sculptures and other props and things like it is today, and that was different than the other dark rides, the Snow White and the Peter Pan's Flight. Um, Both on opening day, they had a lot of three-dimensional aspects to the ride, but not Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Um, The exterior was also very different. It resembled a colorful medieval tournament tent. My favorite Fantasyland ride, Peter Pan's Flight, was there on opening day, but Peter Pan was not originally part of the ride. So guests were meant to feel as though they were Peter Pan in the story, and they were going on his adventures and flying over London, but this wasn't very clear, and guests often asked, can you hear my puppy? I don't know why he always finds a squeaky toy when I start recording the podcast. At least he's not biting my feet though, right? So we're just going to go with it. Um, So this wasn't clear to guests, and guests were always asking where Peter Pan was in the ride. So when it was refurbished in 1983, then Peter Pan was added to the ride, and you can now find him throughout. 
Now, this was similar with Snow White. It was called Snow White and Her Adventures when it opened. And guests in this ride were meant to feel like they were Snow White. And it was confusing once again to people. They were in line for Snow White and were wondering why they didn't see Snow White on the ride. So, again, 1983, there was a huge, huge refurbishment of Fantasyland. And that was changed so that Snow White was in the ride. It was also the the name of the ride was changed. A lot of guests felt that it was scary, which it is, to little kids and maybe some grown-ups. So it's a dark and scary ride. And so they changed the title to Snow White's Scary Adventures to hopefully convey this to guests that were coming that this could be scary and to be warned. I found it interesting that... Before 1983, um, the evil queen, she's offered, she offers an apple on the ride. But before 1983, it was an actual apple. But so many guests attempted to and often did steal the apple to take home as a souvenir that it was replaced by a projected image in 1983 during the refurbishments. The Casey Jr. Circus Train was there on opening day, and it's very similar to how it is today. Um, it was closed the day after opening, though, because of some safety concerns. I'm not sure what exactly, but it opened two weeks later. So it ran for one day, closed for two weeks, and then has been up and running ever since. The Magic Tea Party was... The Magic Tea Party? The Mad Tea Party. <laughs> it could be... It's a Magic Tea Party also. But it's called the Mad Tea Party. Most people call it the teacups. It was originally located directly behind King Arthur's carousel. So it's very bizarre to look at pictures of Disneyland when it first opened because things are not in the same place that they are now. So it was right behind King Arthur's carousel. And it was relocated from its spot to its current spot in 1983. When it first opened, it was kind of just on a like a plain, the ground below it was just plain and kind of like a beige color. So that's interesting to see when you look back at pictures and they've since repainted it and made it all cute, but um, it didn't have all the cute little hanging lanterns and things over the top. But I found it interesting that on the, the first two years that the ride ran, there was no limit to how fast you could spin. So I assume that people were going very, very fast because after it had been open for two years, they added kind of a braking system so that there's a point that you can't go faster than, if that makes sense. So I'd be interested to know how fast people really got spinning. I guess it depends on who you had in the ride with you, but I imagine people were going pretty fast. So along with those rides, there was also a few places you could eat in Fantasyland. Now, Walt, he was treating the restaurants and food stands in his theme park differently than other places, other theme parks. Well, they weren't called theme parks. They called them amusement parks, and he didn't want an amusement park. He wanted a theme park, and he kind of coined that term. But he didn't want the food to be an afterthought. He wanted it to be kind of an attraction in and of itself. So he took great care to theme his restaurants and food stands around the lands themselves. So located where Dumbo now sits was a small pond with a large pirate ship floating on it. And behind it was Skull Rock from the Peter Pan movie. 
Um, the ship was called the Chicken of the Sea Pirate Ship and Restaurant. And it was there from 1955 to 1982. The name was changed to Hook's Gallery in 1969 when their sponsorship with Chicken of the Sea ran out. But when it was Chicken of the Sea, apparently they served tuna in all varieties. They had tuna burgers and tuna sandwiches and who knows what else. (laughs) It sounds terrible to me, but... Apparently, it was fairly popular because it was there through 1969. So when it changed to Hook's Gallery, then they had more standard fare with like hamburgers and things like that. So you could go get your food below the deck and then you headed for a table in Skull Rock right behind the ship. I would have loved to see this. Peter Pan's my favorite Disney movie and to be able to see that pirate ship in the middle of Fantasyland with the Skull Rock behind it. That would have been a dream come true. Um, The first time I went to Disneyland was in 1983, and it was right after the refurbishment. And so I didn't see any of Disneyland in its original form. And when I went, I was only, I think I was three. No, I was two. So I wouldn't have remembered anyway, but it would have been really cool to see it. I'm so happy that we have pictures. So go back and look at Skull Rock, Google like Skull Rock or the uh, Chicken of the Sea pirate ships, you can see pictures of this attraction in Fantasyland. So it was removed during the refurbishment and they needed to relocate it so that to help with the flow of traffic. There were too many people and it was kind of in the way. So the idea was to move it over to where um, It's a Small World is now, but They needed a crane to take it out and it was kind of getting old and run down and by the time they moved it they just decided it wasn't salvageable anymore so it's gone that's why we don't have it anymore so imagine this it's 1955 you're at disneyland it's hot middle of the summer you need a drink and you need it bad what better way to quench your thirst than grape juice right? Who doesn't want grape juice on a hot day? So from 1955 to 1981, there was a Welch's grape juice bar and you could go there and buy a cup of ice cold grape juice in a reusable cup shaped like a bunch of grapes. Uh, You could also get a grape ice pop and the juice was poured from big round dispensers that I guess were kind of iconic. People loved these big round dispensers. They're actually pretty cool. So go look at a picture of them. Just Google Welch's Grape Juice Bar. Um, so they were located right next to the Mickey Mouse Theater. And behind the juice bar was a mural featuring the centaurs from Fantasia hauling and eating Concord grapes. I thought that was interesting. Who doesn't love grape juice? (laughs) Let's take a quick break. Maybe I'll grab some grape juice, quench my thirst. (laughs) And when we come back, we'll talk about the other rides in Fantasyland that came later and the history behind them, plus the big refurbishment that happened in 
With the theme parks in California being closed, Florida is the place to be. There are so many fun things to do in Florida, and the best part is it is open for business. Obviously, all the theme parks in Florida are being very careful with social distancing and masks and following all the guidelines, but they're open for business. So many people are feeling the need to get out and get on vacation and enjoy some family time, especially after all we've been through with 2020. So 2021 is the year of vacations. If you are looking to go to Florida, to any of the theme parks, I want you to check out my friends at Getaway Today. They have the best prices on tickets. They also have amazing hotel deals and packages. Plus, they offer layaway plans, which is amazing. So... You can put $100 down to hold your vacation and make payments as you go along. And then you just have to pay the full balance within 30 days of going. Such a great way to schedule a vacation. They also have a peace of mind plan to protect your vacation because let's face it, things come up that we can't control. I think 2020 taught us that. So they have that in place to help you have peace of mind that your vacation, the money you've put towards it, is protected and safe if something happens and you can't go. They also check prices all the time. And if they find a price that's cheaper, they refund you the difference, which is amazing. How many places do that? So check them out. I really think you'll be happy with them. Customer service is amazing. I've been using them for 15 years and I love them so much. I'll put a link in my show notes. Dumbo the Flying Elephant opened August 16th, 1955. And interestingly enough, it's the only ride included in all six of Disney's castle parks worldwide. I did not know that. But the ride was supposed to be up and running on opening day, but due to flawed prototypes and other problems, it ended up opening one month later. Now, before it was built, the original version just on paper was not Dumbo, but the pink elephants from the alcohol-induced daydreams that he had in the movie. You remember, right? Those were going to be the elephants, but somewhere along the way, they changed to Dumbo. So for the first two years, the hub of the ride didn't have the ball with Timothy Mouse on top, and the original Dumbos had hinged ears that were supposed to flap, But they failed so often and had so many mechanical problems that they were removed in the mid-60s. In 1955, Dumbo is not where Dumbo was. Because if you remember, um, that's where Skull Rock was when it opened. So Dumbo is not where it is today. It was actually located right where, you know, where the Red Rose Tavern is, where they have the little shortcut to Frontierland. That's where Dumbo was located. But it was moved in 1983 to the Skull Rock pirate ship area. Alice in Wonderland is another one of my favorites. It opened in June of 1958. So originally it was planned as a walkthrough attraction. It seemed like Walt Disney had a lot of ideas about walkthrough attractions, but there was going to be kind of some carnival funhouse style effects, kind of like 
the shrinking mirrors and some things like that, but the idea was scrapped because ultimately they decided that people would move too slowly through the attraction, which would cause long lines, and that's not what they wanted. So they changed it to the system that they have in place now. But because the ride would be housed in this oddly shaped extension building that was built behind Peter Pan's flight and Mr. Toad's wild ride, they had to be kind of creative with how they designed this ride. So Alice became the first dark ride to occupy two floors. And like the other dark rides in Fantasyland, Alice herself was nowhere to be found on the ride. Once again, it was supposed to be from the perspective of Alice, so guests were meant to experience the attraction from Alice's point of view. But once again, guests were confused. They didn't really understand how it worked, wanted to know where Alice was. So Alice was refurbished with everything else in Fantasyland in 1983, and the storyboard of the ride was redone, so it made more sense and was more in line with the movie, and that included having Alice in the ride. It's a Small World was the last ride to open in Fantasyland, and it wasn't opened until 1966. So it was built back in 1964 for the World's Fair, and after the fair, it was relocated to Disneyland. Now, originally, it was called Children of the World, and there was a tentative soundtrack that featured national anthems from each country of the world that was represented in the ride, and the attraction played all of these anthems at once. That was the idea. And it was a total disaster. You can imagine playing, what, like 20 national anthems all at the same time? It just didn't go together. They didn't go well. And it was not working out. So Walt told his songwriters, Robert B. Sherman and Richard M. Sherman, he said, I need one song that can be easily translated into many languages and played as a round. So the Sherman brothers came up with It's a Small World After All, and they came up with it in the wake of the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, and the crisis inspired the message of peace and unity that we hear in the song today. So it was first played as kind of a slow lullaby, but when Walt heard it, he wanted something more cheerful and upbeat. So the tempo was sped up, and Walt loved it so much that he renamed the whole attraction after the song. I just wanted to get that stuck in your head. You're welcome. Okay, we're going to talk about my very favorite story of a ride in Fantasyland. Is that a thing? That's a thing now. So let's talk about the Matterhorn. It opened in 1959, but before it was even the Matterhorn, it was just a big, large 20-foot hill that was made up of dirt that was escalated excavated from the castle moat when the Sleeping Beauty castle was being rebuilt. So Walt decided that removing this huge hill of dirt would be costly. 
They were running out of time, running out of money. So Walt just put a fence around it to keep people out and they opened the park. So it was known by many names. Its official name is Holiday Hill, but it was also known as Snow Mountain or Disney Peak. Now, for some time it was just dirt, but this caused a problem because anytime it got windy, the dirt would blow around and make everything dirty and get in people's eyes and get into the mechanics of the rides, and it was just a problem. So they soon landscaped it with sod and shrubs and trees, but it was still off limits. So it still had this fence around it, but that didn't stop people from sneaking onto the hill and the hill soon became a makeout spot for teenage guests and security had to go on nightly rounds to round up these kids and kick them off the hill. So while Walt was on vacation in Zermatt, Switzerland, filming The Third Man on the Mountain, he started to plan an attraction that it captured the excitement of sledding down the famous Matterhorn Mountain. Now, Walt had said time and time again that he didn't want thrill rides or roller coasters in the park, but he insisted that the Matterhorn bobsleds, um, they had to be different. So pictures of the Swiss mountain were studied and they were able to build a 147 foot high mountain in an exact one by 100 scale replica of the actual peak, which is pretty impressive. They did use forced perspective again, kind of like they did on Sleeping Beauty's castle. So the trees that are growing get progressively smaller as they reach the peak so that the mountain appears larger than it does from below. Aero development labored over the technology needed to simulate a smooth toboggan ride down a snowy peak. The team designed side mountain wheels and grooves in the cars to create safe, fast, and smooth ride. The result was a revolutionary and it became the standard for all modern roller coasters. Bob Gurr said that I even patterned the Matterhorn guest seating design after the Swiss bobsled arrangement. This allowed the folks to snuggle together, a plan that later proved delightful to young couples. Crews worked to day and night to finish on time and designer Ed Morgan wanted to be especially careful. We didn't really get the chance to test the whole thing at one time, he remembered, until almost hours before opening. So they didn't even test the full Matterhorn until hours before opening, which is pretty crazy, right? Um, So because he was nervous and they hadn't really tested it out fully, he asked for the cars to be run slower and at a lower capacity when the ride did open. So this caused longer lines on opening day and Morgan talks about when he saw Walt's reaction to these long lines. So he said, Walt was upset because the lines were clear around the mountain twice. I told him my concerns and he just shook his head and shuffled off. That was it. No further conversation. All of Hollywood was there. Walt Disney walked down the line and apologized. One thing they wouldn't do is take those people and give them special treatment ahead of anyone else. I loved that story. I love that there were all these famous actors, Hollywood people waiting in line to ride the Matterhorn for the first time, but Walt wasn't going to pull them out of line and take them to the front because there were other people waiting and he respected the normal person too, I guess. He respected people like us and wasn't going to bump the Hollywood stars to the front of the line. So I liked that story about him. I appreciated it. 
So the Matterhorn is unique to Disneyland and has never been recreated in any other park. Now, I remember riding the Skyway when I was little. At first, I thought maybe I had made up that I remembered riding it because I've seen pictures and I thought maybe I just remember seeing pictures. But in my mind, I remember going through the Matterhorn because the Skyway takes you through the Matterhorn and I remember riding through it and in my mind, I could hear the snow monster and hear that wind from the ride and it made me nervous. I always remember feeling a little scared because you don't know when the snow, where the snow monster was. Um, but then I thought maybe I made that up. But my mom brought me a photo album um, a while back and I was looking through it and there is a picture of me and my mom riding on the Skyway about to go through the Matterhorn. So it was real. I didn't make it up. I have a picture to prove it. So I'm going to put that on my Instagram. But I was only two years old the first time I went to Disneyland and that is one of my memories. I remember riding the Skyway through the Matterhorn. So in the 1980s, it was decided that Fantasyland needed a huge upgrade. And when I say there was a refurbishment, it was massive, major. Every single part of Fantasyland was totally redone. Um, I've seen videos, a time-lapse video of it, and it's amazing. Like they take everything down and take it down just to the dirt and they redo everything. So the brand new Fantasyland opened May 25th, 1983. And gone was the medieval theme, and in its place was the European storybook village, complete with the cobblestone streets and the fantasy land that we know and love today. So some rides were moved, some rides were removed, and new rides were there, like totally new rides were there as well when it opened. So Pinocchio's Daring and Journey was one that was added along with the restaurant next door, which originally was known as Village Inn, and then it changed to Village House, and now it is the Red Rose Tavern. So if you have extra time, I would look up that time lapse. It's pretty interesting to see all of the extensive work that went into refurbishing Fantasyland. And at the big reopening ceremony, they did the drawbridge, lowered it again, like we talked about, but they also had a big, you know, a big show and celebration. And there was one point in the celebration, I saw a video where Prince Philip scales the castle walls on Sleeping Beauty Castle to reach Aurora, which I thought was kind of cute. So look up that video too if you have time. So just to wrap it up, I wanted to read you the description of Fantasyland from the original Disneyland map that was passed out when the parks first opened. So each each land has a little blurb and Fantasyland says, a world of imagination come to life. You'll cross a drawbridge to enter Fantasyland through the portals of a medieval castle with towers rising dizzily above you. In Fantasyland, you'll take the Peter Pan ride aboard a pirate galleon that soars over moonlit London to Neverland, home of mermaids, buccaneers, Indians, and lost boys, and flit through the darling home. Take the Snow White ride and meet the Seven Dwarfs, the Wicked Witch, who will offer you a poisoned apple, and all the other characters of this immortal classic. Mr. Toad's wild ride runs through a series of misadventures in a 1903 vintage automobile, knocking over a cow and crashing into a barn. You'll travel through the pearly gates to the sounds of heavenly music. 
Other gay novel amusements of Fantasyland are based on cartoon or storybook characters that Walt Disney has brought to screen life. Dumbo the Flying Elephant, a breathtaking aerial ride, the Mad, ha the Mad Tea Party, King Arthur Carousel with 72 gorgeous steeds, the Casey Jr. Circus Train, Canal Boats of America, England, France, and Fabulous Attractions. So there you have it. That's how they described Fantasyland back in 1955. Although it's changed quite a bit from opening day, I think the changes are probably for the best. And I just adore Fantasyland. It's my one of my favorite places. Can I just say that about all of Disneyland? Oh, but it's one of my favorite places in the parks, along with every other part of Disneyland. I know I always say that, but I love it so much. So hopefully we'll be able to get back to the parks, back to Fantasyland sometime this year, and hopefully that drawbridge will lower for us. There's so many other things I was not able to include in this podcast. I just ran out of time. It's amazing the history that is part of the Disneyland parks. I'll include more of it on my tour when I work there, right? <laughs> we can all look forward to that. So this podcast on the history of Fantasyland is just the first in a series that I'm going to do. I'm going to go through and do the history of each land and talk about all of that. There are some crazy things. Fantasyland is just the tip of the iceberg. Like Frontierland was so different. New Orleans Square and like Critter Country, they didn't even exist when the parks opened, but Frontierland was so different. Adventureland was so different. I have so many things to share with you. Plus, I'm going to have a whole podcast coming all about the opening day at Disneyland because it was a complete disaster. So many funny things happened. <laughs> Poor Walt. It's amazing he didn't have a heart attack, but it all worked out for him in the end and for us too, I would say. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate your support. I appreciate you listening more than you know. I'll be back next week with something new. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk soon.